As Chris said, we're in the book of Obadiah this morning, so if you can find that in your Bible, and it's tough. It's in the Old Testament, and it's the smallest book in the Old Testament. So if you're working out of a phone today, that's going to that's gonna be a benefit. But if, hey, will you guys go grab some Bibles and help Mr. Chris pass them out? Um, if anybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll pass them out. Hey, and then when you come back, will you guys, hey, everybody come back over here? Because part of the reason I'm sending them is so that they can come back and sit here because that way I don't have to like scan everybody. If everybody's sitting in these two sections, that's just going to be way easier. But I appreciate you girls uh, wanting to help. So we're in Obadiah. This is our third week in the Minor Prophets. Like Chris said, last week I was able to go to Pineda and Jeremiah was able to come here and he preached Amos and I preached Obadiah there. And so that's why we're a little out of order. You guys grab your... Thanks, man. Um, but if you've found Obadiah, we can go ahead and we're going to stand and we're going to read the whole thing together. The reason that we stand is because if there's anything we want to hear today, if there's anything that we want to give attention to, it's not my words, it's God's words. And so we stand and we read these together. And I'll read, and you just follow along as I'm reading. Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground, though you soar aloft like the eagles, like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to, the bo- to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not in that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of stress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. For as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame. 
the house of Esau's stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Shepharad, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Maybe that's the first time you've read Obadiah, and that's okay. You're not alone. Um, this book is, uh, like we talked about, it's the smallest book in the Old Testament. It's got some imagery that we don't understand. It talks about a place called Edom that we don't necessarily know much about or um, think about a lot. And so if this is your introduction to Obadiah, it's, it's good. We're, we're not going to get everything that we can out of Obadiah today, but we do want to see what God's proclamation is through Obadiah, his prophet. We want to see what he has to say to Edom, and we want to see what he has to say to us today. Remember, the, the role of the prophet in this time frame is, is to remind Israel about the covenant that they have with their God. And so often... The, the prophet would come to Israel and remind them, hey, don't forget, remember, remember who God is and what he has called you to do because you represent him as a holy people and this is how you're not representing him or this is where you've fallen short or this is how you've pursued something else and I'm calling you to remember and to turn back. And so that's the role of the prophet. The prophet would speak for God and he was the covenant Watchdog, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. He was the, the one who would keep them in line. A, a contract lawyer, which got everybody excited, so I'm just going to keep using that, right? This idea that, that they would come back and they would say, don't forget what God wrote about who he was because your lives are not reflecting that. And there is judgment. And they would call them to repentance. And so the unique thing about Obadiah is he's not going to Israel. He's going to Edom. And he's talking to Edom about the way that they have treated Israel. But what we're going to see is that the, these two people groups, the country, the nationality of the, the nation and, and the people group of Israel, and the, the country and the people group of Edom were brothers. They descended from Jacob and Esau. And so maybe you know that story. And we're going to read some of that together today. But that's, that's the idea. And so... Uh, because I have to title a sermon when I send it to the podcast afterwards, I titled this one Brothers, and that's what we're talking about today. While you read it and you see pride, and you see God declaring that pride is wrong and that he's going to tear down their pride, it's also the way that that pride has been infused in the relationship between these two brothers. And maybe you're starting to think, uh-oh. This could be tough. I have siblings, or I have friends that are as close as brothers, and I know that I don't always treat them the way that they're supposed to be treated. Well, we're all in good company today. I have two brothers that maybe you don't know that. I have two younger brothers, uh, Luke and Jared. And so I have the opportunity to, to share with you some of the wisdom that I have from being the older brother. 
And in this story, the older brother is not the one that you want to be. And often my story is that as the older brother, I'm not the one you want to be. I also have the the gift of having a bunch of kids in the house, and so I get to see how the sibling rivalry plays out, and and we get to see that together. Um, But this jockeying for position, it is a pride thing. Like, we want to be the best, but there's also underneath (laughs) that this more subtle thing. And it's it's telling God that what you've given me and where you've put me is not the best. We're going to see that in Esau. Like Esau, he, he, his, his gripe is against his brother. His brother is devious. Jacob is not also the guy you want to be in this story. Like none of these people are the one, the one you want to be. They're not the heroes. The hero is the God who is faithful despite sinful people. But what we're going to see is that as these, these brothers interact, they need a Savior. They need someone who would come and save because in their hearts they're saying, God, what you've done and who you've called me to be is not good enough. And they're not trusting in that. And then that, that, that lack of trust from Esau and the anger that he has in his heart towards his brother actually plays out in enmity between two people groups for a long time. And this, this message that we have today from Obadiah is a message of judgment about how Edom was treating their brother, Jacob. Okay? So that's where we're going to be. Let's, let's ask God, like, this minor prophet stuff, it's not easy. Right? But it's so good. It's so good to see what God is doing and the story that he tells and, and how he continues because of his forbearing with our sin. He continues to call us to repentance. And so let's pray and ask God to do that today. Lord, would you work in our hearts today so that we would see in this story who you are. I I, I want to say who we are, but Lord, we're not the center of the story. You are. A God who is faithful, a God who is righteous, a God who is both just and and merciful. That's the hero. That's the one that we long for. That's the one we want to know. So God, would you open our eyes and our ears today that we would hear and see you. Lord, do what only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit working in the heart and mind of a believer to convict of sin, to call to repentance, to believe that we have a righteousness in Christ that is so beautiful and good. And then out of that belief, to walk in faith-filled obedience. So Lord, that's what we're asking today. And we're not alone, Lord. Your church throughout the world is asking for that same thing. Lord, I pray that you would do that in Pinita. Lord, I pray that you would do that in Espanol and in Orlando. I pray that you would do that in, in Nicaragua, that you would do that in the other church plants that we are in relationship with, Lord, that you would do it in the missions organizations, that you do it through the Fast family in Portland. God, so many people that we have, uh, have relationship, like actual friendships with, and yet there's, that's just scratching the surface of how your, your glory is being proclaimed throughout the world today. So Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your spirit moving.
through the working of your word in our hearts today. May we not leave here the same way that we came in, but may we be transformed and conformed to your image. And if that happens, it is a miracle today, Lord. So we ask you for miracle. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, what, what begins in Obadiah in verse uh, 1, the vision of Obadiah. And so normally we have um, some context to be able to put these messages in, but, but we don't know who Obadiah is. Um, there's possibly 12 different Obadiahs listed in the Bible. We don't know which one this is. And because... Um, of the framing of the way that the proclamation is made, it's even hard to put it into a time frame. So some people would say it's as early as 8th century B.C., and some people would say it actually happens as late as 3rd century B.C. So you've got this huge span of hundreds of years that this could have taken place. But what we do know from from this story, from Obadiah speaking to Edom, is that there is this long history going back all the way to Genesis of Esau and Jacob and, and their descendants and the enmity that's between them, the violence that is sometimes done. And so there's this, these people groups that have grown from these brothers. And so what I want you to do is I want you to put your finger in Obadiah, and then I want you to turn back to Genesis. And we're going to be in Genesis 25, and we're just going to look at the story. And I'm not going to read the whole story. So your homework this week is to go back and read Genesis 25, 26, 27, and as, as much as you want of the story. But this story of Jacob and Esau is a, is a beautiful, hard, like it'll mess with you kind of story. And it really does focus on who is God and what are his promises to his people. And really some of the things that we, we ask out of that is, did they deserve it? Wait, who's the good guy in this? Who's the one that should be getting the blessing? And yet we see that both brothers get a blessing. So we're in Genesis 25. We're going to read 19 through 28 to start. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, and pay attention to this part, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah, 
loved Jacob. From the very beginning, these boys aren't even born. And they're wrestling in the womb. Like some of you have boys and you realize they wrestle all the time. But twin boys wrestling in the womb, like that would be crazy. And, and so, yeah, Rebecca's got these questions. What is going on in my body? I already got plenty of other issues. It says that she was old. She had been barren for a long time. And so she's crying out to God, and then God gives her the miracle. And now this miracle is doing some crazy stuff in her body. And so she goes and she asks God, what is going on here? And then in that moment, God in his kindness answers her and says that there, there's two nations in you. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. We think that as we get farther into the story, well, Jacob and Esau were just bad dudes. They, they, they didn't like each other. And obviously Esau wouldn't like Jacob because he stole his birthright, that jerk. Right? And we have all, this, all these things. But listen, this is the sovereign plan of God. That these two brothers would be divided before they were even born. And so as we look at that, we have, to, we have to see it from that perspective. That as God, as the story is being played out, yes, it's being played out in human sin. But it's also being orchestrated by a holy and sovereign God. And we struggle with that. And we say that's not fair. And, and we're going to keep saying that in our hearts and in our minds. Today, and then all kinds of other stories that we read. And we've actually said that in community group a lot lately. Like, like I don't get it. How, why would God do that? God uses us and allows us to be completely human in these stories. While, while He is orchestrating and He is in control, He's also made Esau and Jacob fully human. And their humanity, because of... Uh, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, they're sinful to one another. And so God's using even their sin to create these two nations, all of it for his glory. So we see right, right away, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Maybe you're already having some issues with this. Again, like I said earlier, as an older brother, I have real issues with this story. I think that um, we project our culture onto these things. And they would have a culture in that moment where that, that was even more defined than ours, where the oldest would receive the inheritance. They would receive the blessing of the family and then walk in that, and they would have a responsibility that came with that. And so if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, then you know that uh, at the time where the, the birthright should have been given, Esau is going out and he's hunting, and then Jacob sneaks into his father, who's old and blind at this point, puts on some goat skin so that he would be hairy like his brother, so he would smell like his brother, and he takes advantage of his aging father and tells him, hey, give me my birthright now. And he's already deceived Esau into giving him his birthright by, because he was hungry, and he said, hey, Give me your birthright, and then I'll give you some of this good food. We had tons of questions out of that. Like, what is Esau doing giving up his birthright for some food? If you can make your own food and you can go kill stuff, what are you doing? But all of this is being worked out so that we have this story, so that we have all of this playing out to watch God divinely call a people to himself. 
this sibling rivalry that's taking place. Genesis 27, 36 through 42, we see towards the end of this story what is taking place. When we jump in at verse 36, we have Esau going into Isaac and arguing for us, asking for a blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, which, as uh, maybe you have a footnote, which means that he cheats or he is the heel or he's the deceiver? Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older, older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. This isn't just um, sibling rivalry. We've moved beyond jockeying for position. Esau has a heart that wants to kill his brother because his brother has taken advantage of him. He's deceived him. He's cheated him. And this is the beginning of the story of two people groups. And the story of Israel moving into the promised land. And, but the beauty of it is that God, in His kindness and in, in His sovereignty, has given Edom a possession and a land. If you look at, at Numbers, or sorry, in Deuteronomy 2, 1-6, through 6, it says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long. This is... God speaking to Moses as he's leading the people into the promised land. You've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money, that you may drink. God had given Esau and his people a, a land around Mount Seir. And so they're try, the, the um, Israelites are attempting to travel through that land. And God's saying, listen, you can go, but you can only go if they will give things to you. None of that is yours by possession. I've given that land to that people. Well, what we find is that as they travel through that land, um, they, they are attacked. In Numbers, it's 
Sorry, I've lost it now. We'll have to come back. That'll be my homework for this week, and I'll post that for you guys, and and you can see. But as they travel through, um, the Edomites attack them, and and that's one of the times where that takes place. What we also see throughout history, and if you read um, 1 and 2 Kings, particularly 2 Kings, you're going to see a lot of this, is that as the Assyrian army came in as a judgment against Israel and took over Israel and, and sacked Jerusalem, the... Edomites, while they may not have been the aggressor in that moment, they did take advantage of them. And that's what we see in the book of Obadiah, is that they're gloating and they're boasting and they're, they're kind of, listen, if you've ever been in a, a, a football match or maybe played football in the side yard and then there becomes this dog pile and you've got the one kid at the very end who just comes and jumps on, on the top, right, probably Asher from the top rope because he's the youngest, and he waits for his brothers to get done with doing what they're doing. And now I'm going to just jump in and take advantage of. That's, that was my brother Jared. As we were growing up, we'd be wrestling and he would just jump in and kind of do some things at the end. Just so that he would feel good. Well, Edom kind of does that. They jump on the backs of Assyria. And they come in and they plunder Israel. They take advantage of Israel in their, in their weakness as they're being beaten and destroyed. And so God comes with judgment. Look at Obadiah, verses 10 through 14. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem... You were like one of them, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the, pe- the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads and cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. As we read that list, we, we begin to see some things. The first one is that they're being judged for their violence against Jacob. And so we have this overt attack that we would all say, hey, that's bad. Like if you are brothers, you, you, you share the same ancestry. It goes back to Abraham. Like you, you would both look to Abraham and say, that's grandfather." the children of Abraham. And so there's this brotherhood that they have, and yet they're doing violence against one another. And so the judgment of God that we read in the first nine verses of Obadiah is because of violence done. And so maybe as we begin to say, well, okay, why are we reading Obadiah? There's violence that we do to one another that we can resonate with, and we can say, okay, that. That's wrong. It's, it's wrong when I'm violent towards my brother. But as we begin to see that Obadiah doesn't just stop there, he says, listen, but there's other things. God, God declares that there's other things that they've done. On the day we stood aloof, when we stand aloof, like God's beginning to peel back the layers of our sin. It's easy sometimes when we first come to Christ to, to realize there are some things, some outward things that I'm doing that are harmful to people. 
that are just wrong, and I need, to, I need to turn back to God. I need to repent of those things, and I need to follow in what, what is good and right and true, what brings peace instead of violence, what, what brings love instead of hatred. But then God goes, and He's beginning to judge them even more to say, not only have you been actively violent, but you've stood aloof. There are things that you could have done to love your brother, there are places where you could have entered into maybe, def- maybe Edom was called to defend Israel. But instead of actively defending Israel, they just said, that's not our fight. That's, that's fine. No problem. We, we can't even make a dent in that Assyrian army, so we're not going to do anything. We're going to stand aloof. But then he also tells them that they've gloated over the misfortune of Israel. They've stood aloof while he's robbed and plundered. They've boasted in his distress. Maybe they didn't cause the fugitives that would leave, but they haven't, they haven't given them safe harbor. They haven't been there as a place of refuge for them. And so God is, is not just judging them for their active, antagonistic violence done against their brother, but where they have just stood off and let their brother suffer. And if you're starting to feel a little bit of, like, mm, that's good. That's, that's where we want to be. Because God, God is being kind to Edom in this place. He's exposing their sin. He's showing them that they have been wrong, and He's calling them to repentance. And today, He's doing the same thing for us. He's exposing our sin, both the sin that's outward and that we're we, we at least recognize pretty red, readily. That doesn't mean we fix it. That doesn't mean that we change. But we do see that outward sin pretty regu- readily. And we ask God to forgive it. But also, he's going deeper to say, listen, and there's things where, areas where you can be a refuge. Areas where you can go to your brother and help. Areas where you have um, opportunity to not stand aloof, but to engage. And you, you stand by. And so, before we move on to see that God is faithful and He brings salvation, we don't want to just say, okay, good, so get me to that part. Because if we don't sit in the judgment and and the understanding and the conviction that's there, we cheapen the grace that we've received. We think, it's okay, Jesus died and and I'm fine, and now I don't have to go and do those things. No. (laughs) No. Jesus did die, and he, he, His forgiveness has washed away all of our sin and all of our shame, and then He's invited us to go to the broken. And then He says, come, look at me, because I'm going, and I'm being a refuge, and I'm not standing aloof, but I'm entering in. And He invites us, by the power of His Spirit that's within the believer, to go with Him, to see what He's doing, and to engage We need to sit in this and realize that in and of ourselves, we will never do this. In and of ourselves, we sit under the same judgment. Because our natural inclination is not to go and help our brother. Our natural inclination is to guard and take care of ourselves. So this is what God's telling us. He picks it up in Psalm 137, verses 7 and 8. 
It echoes what we have in Obadiah. It says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall, be, shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. The psalmist is, is crying out for judgment against Edom. Because as they were being taken over by Babylon, it was Edom that was saying, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. They were gloating and they were boasting in Israel's ruin. And the cry was, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. We see that in Obadiah 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. We don't want to rest in our own our own deeds, our own righteousness. We want to rest in the righteousness of Christ. Because if there's anything that we're doing that's outside of Christ, our deeds are going to be done to us. They're going to return on on our own head. That's the judgment that we see here. And so, if that's true, we need a Savior. God's judging Edom for their pride. We need to understand that the only way that we would rightfully step out of pride and into humility is if Christ has worked something in our hearts to believe that to be true. Otherwise, it's, it's still this, this basic self-righteousness that we're resting in. If it's anything other than Christ, it's a self-righteousness. Like, the things that we do, and we talked about this at community group, if, if we're doing them in and of our own accord, they're either going to lead to this more pride in our own self-righteousness, or they're going to lead to a shame that, that just covers us and puts us at this place of, God, I, I'm so weak and broken and I can't do anything right because we fail at whatever it is that we feel like we should be doing in and of our own strength. So neither one of those outcomes are good, this pride or this shame, this self-righteousness or this utter wanting to give up. So what we need is we need to rest in the one who has come and done it for us. We need to rest in Christ. And if Christ is doing that in our hearts, then we respond correctly and we, and we go with him and we say, Lord, where are you going? Who would you have me go to with this good news today? How would you have me help them? Not just to be this, the word of God, but the actual hands and feet of God that would go to those that are broken, those that have no money, those that have no food, those that don't have something that I have and I can give it to them because of what you have done in me. Out of gratitude for who you are and the grace that I've received, I want to go and I want to be generous. That's the language that we use. That's what the gospel produces in us, is a gratitude that leads to generosity. So does that mean that we can't call people who are proud outside of Christ, who, who would say, I don't know who Christ is and I don't care. We can't, we can't call them to humility. No, we can. We can say, listen, there's a, there's a common grace that, that the proud, we've seen it throughout so many stories, they are humbled in the end. So I would call you to humility now because even that humility can point to Christ. And that's our hope, is that those who don't know Christ would know Him and love Him and trust Him. So I pray that God would do that.
So if this is the animosity between brothers who, who are in their sin, what does brotherhood look like for those who are in Christ? What does brotherhood look like for those who are, are, have a faith in God? Well, we, a, a long time ago, when we first were meeting in the park, we were going through the Psalms of Ascent, and one of the Psalms of Ascent is a short one, and it's Psalm 133, and it talks about the unity of brotherhood. Psalm 133, 1 through 3 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's a beauty there that we get glimpses of as a body of Christ. We get glimpses of this beautiful unity. I had, I had glimpses of this unity this week as people poured into my life and in my brokenness and, and offered encouragement and loved me really well. I get glimpses of this beauty. One day we're going to see it face to face and we're going to be so in awe. We're gonna, it's just going to rock our world how amazing the love of Christ is the unity that we have as the body of Christ. So that's from the Old Testament. It's talking about the unity of, of those who would follow God. Romans, Paul kind of defines it even more. Romans 12, 9 through 21, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Those couple verses, none of those were a passive, aloof, gloating or boasting. They're an entering in. They're an active obedience to who Christ is and what He's done. He's calling us to love one another with brotherly affection. Continues on in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath. To the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. T- take that, meditate on that this week. Romans 12, 9-21. That is the right relationship between brothers. That's what it looks like. and Brothers and sisters, before all of... You ladies say, it's all about brothers, I don't need to pay attention. No, brothers and sisters, what does it look like? And I'm not just talking blood. I'm talking about the people that God has put you in relationship with today. What does it look like to live in unity? It looks like that. But here's what we can do, is we can take that list, and while we meditate on that, we can say, this is what I need to do. And we can try to be the better brother, or better sister. And that's not, what I'm, that's not what we're called to today. It's not go out and just try harder and work better and be a better brother and don't be like Esau or Jacob, be like somebody else. No, that's not what we're saying. 
That's a picture of what true love and unity look like. How have we gotten there? How does Paul, as he's telling them to do this, how is he expecting them to do that? Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, which is both Esau and Jacob, that he would be heir to the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He's calling them to faith. Faith in what? Faith in the one who has worked righteousness for them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And that's, that's beautiful, but if we stop there, that's just... One portion of atonement that our sin has been washed away. But there's a second part of it. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came. He took our sin and our shame and He bore it on the cross. And in the resurrection, He's given us life. That life looks like true unity with our brothers and our sisters. That life that He promises is walking in the fruit of the Spirit. That life that He promises is the righteousness of God lived out in us. That's crazy. You mean I can have actual unity with my brother because of what Christ has done? Yes. I can live this Romans 12, 9-21 because as I'm living, it's not me, but it's Christ through me. Being portrayed to the world as the Spirit is transforming me and conforming me to the image of Christ, which is what a dying world and a dying family, like a dying household, we need to see Christ. Not better Joel, not better Noah, not better Jesse. Like in our household, we need to see Christ. And as we see Christ, and we treasure Him, and we embrace Him, and we race hard after Him, and our hearts worship Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, As we see Christ, that second piece that Jesus said, hey, what's the fulfillment of the whole law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That other one's going to play out. Love your brother as yourself. More than yourself. So what we don't need is to be the better brother. We we have the best brother today. Jesus, who walked perfect righteousness for us. And if we're walking with Him, and if we're worshiping Him, and we're following hard after Him, then we're going to be better brothers and sisters. And the, the world around us may not know like what makes them good brothers and sisters. And so we have the opportunity to tell them. And we talked about it at community group. We have to be explicit at some point to say, listen, it's not me. It's not me trying to be a good brother. It's Jesus working in me. So that they too can have that good news. So that they can say, man, I, I want that. And you can say, I've got good news. It's available today because of what Jesus has done. Repent of your own striving. Repent of your own trying to be the better brother. Believe that Christ is the best brother. Repent and believe this morning. And part of that belief is the belief that if we are in Christ, if we believe those things to be true, that He's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And then look for it. Like, look for it in your own life. Say, God... Where are you doing this in me? Because I want to I have this confidence and I want to have this faith that you are doing these things in me. And then if you see it in somebody else, tell them. Say, man, I've seen where God is doing this thing in you and it's beautiful. And I know it's not you because I also know you. 
There's some things that you do where you're not beautiful. But Jesus is doing this thing in you. And that's what it means to be the church, that we get to encourage one another and say, man, look at what God's doing. Look what God has done. And we rejoice and we go back to that very beginning where we called each other. What what is our, our purpose here this morning? To praise the Lord our God to praise Him for how He has worked salvation through His Son, to praise Him that His judgment is, is true and it, His wrath, like it, it's, a, it's a just God who would punish evil. And, and at the cross, that just God was able to be merciful because instead of laying the punishment and the wrath on us, He laid it on Himself and His Son. And then He rose victorious so that we might have life when we get to walk in His brotherly unity. All these beautiful things, we get to see it played out. So this morning, I pray that we would repent of the ways that we've tried to do that, that we'd trust in Jesus, the one who has done it perfectly, and that that trust and that faith and that belief would result in faith-filled obedience and love for one another. Love for our God and love for one another. Lord, we ask that you would do that miracle in us. God, we read Romans 12, 9 through 21, and we're like, that's beautiful, and that's not me. (laughs) I actually don't abhor what is evil. I I dabble in those things. I I let them hang out. I don't walk in righteousness. I don't love others sacrificially. I... I'm actually very self-centered. And yet, Lord, we see where your spirit is changing us. Lord, I pray for those here that are hearing this for the first time, that they would run to you. And as they hear that you don't have to strive anymore to be the good person, the, the good brother, the one who would do all of these things, you have one who has done it for you, Lord, that we would run to you. Lord, and some of us have been running to you for a long time, and we think that at some point we should just be able to do it ourselves. But if your gospel's true, then we're going to sit at your feet. We're going to know that if there's anything good in us, it's because of Jesus and what he's doing. I can't do it in and of myself. So Lord, would you help us to believe that again today? whether it's the first time or many, many, many times. Lord, and out of belief that you have paid it all and that you have worked perfect righteousness for us to walk in, Lord, may we follow you in faith-filled obedience. May we go to the broken. May we go to the hurting. May we reconcile to our brother even if even if they're the one who has offended, may we forgive, may we lay down our justified anger and vengeance. May we rest that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you're good. God, if there's some of us today that maybe this has even stirred in us uh, thoughts of, of where we've harmed one another, 
I pray that we would go and reconcile to one another. Your, your work on the cross didn't just reconcile us to yourself, but it reconciled us to one another, Lord. So may we forgive and may we ask for forgiveness. May we be a humble people, not a proud people, but may we be a humble people that point to a, a gracious and kind and strong and beautiful God. We thank you for Jesus this morning, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other. We ask this in your name. Amen.